Welcome to the Bear With Me podcast on <laughs> Table Radio, where we aim to integrate belief and practice in the Christian life. Well, um, we had some things we wanted to talk about today, and uh, we keep uh, we're keeping track right now with our rooted series at the table. This is going back to our roots. Um, table's ten years old this year, and so we're revisiting the sort of the our core longings, our DNA, kind of the marks of of kind of how we identify as a community. And the new one that we're just jumping into is sacrificial fellowship. Which fellowship's a word we don't really use a lot, and uh, it's kind of a churchy word, mm-hmm. but um, really has to do with life in common. So it's it's a very familiar word. It's it's a social word. It's a how do we do life together word. So that's a that's a pretty common concept, even if the word fellowship itself isn't used. So that's kind of what we mean by it. So the kind of life in common that costs us something that we have to um, maybe give something up in order to to participate in it is I think kind of the the basic idea. So I um I was trying to think of maybe a a text to root in um and I thought of Philippians 2 which is a um pretty familiar one for a lot of people. And so I thought Vanessa I just start by reading it. That That'd might be a good place to start. And yeah. then we can kind of just jump in. We had we had jotted a couple ideas down to to talk about loosely and see where the conversation goes. Um, but this is Philippians chapter two, verses one through eleven. And a little bit of the background: Paul is writing from prison, and he's talking about his friendship with this church in Philippi, this friendship with the Philippians. And um, that they are sharing in this ministry, this gospel ministry, Paul's um, mission to kind of give this news about who Jesus is to the whole world. And they're sharing in that with him in tangible ways. And so he's thanking them. He's, he's expressing his love and affection for them and talking about how they share in his life and he's sharing in their life and that they are sharing in the life of Jesus together. And so that's sort of the backdrop of, of where we're picking up in chapter two. So chapter two. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's it. Wow. 11 verses, verse 11 verses of chapter 2. So, um, there's a ton there, and maybe the place to start is just the tall order. What What is Paul talking about with this community of um, what it means to do life together? Yeah. Um, and, and what's the shape that that takes? What's the, I, the, the first question I had for us is, what is the mindset that, that Paul is, is trying to shift us towards in this letter? And so maybe, Vanessa, since I've been talking a lot already to start, you can jump in. Maybe even you don't even have to go to mindset stuff, but what just kind of how does that um, passage jump off the page to you? Yeah. So I remember looking at this passage a couple months ago when I did a sermon for the table. It was for another one of our core longings, but um, I... I had such a hard time with the first half of that. So I remember thinking like, Ooh, I'm not ready to talk about that yet because I don't know what I think about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so the first half, like the part before you get to the example of Jesus. Yeah. So mm-hmm. especially the think of others as more significant than you mm-hmm. or one translation, you know, says think of others as better than you. Yeah. That was that part is very confusing for me. I think because of my own background and personality mm-hmm. and everything and mm-hmm. it's also a very primary message that I grew up with. So it it sounds very familiar to me growing up as a pastor's kid and as a Christian and in Christian university to think of others as better than myself. But in the last decade or so, I think I've come to understand that for me, what that presupposes is that we do have a good sense of self in God first. And I know not everything goes in order in the spiritual life. It's not like you check off the first level and then you move on to the next. But there's this article by Henry Nouwen called Moving from Solitude to Community to Ministry. It's really short, and it's just his idea of of the kind of circle that discipleship goes in, modeled by Jesus. And Mm -hmm. I really identify with that in that he says, you know, when Jesus goes to the mountain to pray and his whole wilderness experience and baptism is this rooting in his sense of identity as a son of God, as a beloved Mm -hmm. of God. And after that, he forms community with the disciples. And then Mm -hmm. after that, they go down from the mountain and they heal the sick. And so now one kind of says these stages are always at play in our life, whereas Mm -hmm. where we need to have a sense of ourself in order to look to others and form community, in order to spend what we have. And then in God's economy, we get replenished. Right. So that's kind of the the pre part to this section for me mm-hmm. is acknowledging that um, in order to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, that we do have to have 
some sense of what it looks like to love ourselves, which for me means coming to know and receive in deeper and deeper ways God's love for me so that um, it's not super weird to always consider others as better than myself. Does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. And it's, um, I'm glad you started there because I think that's an important thing to acknowledge and distinguish between, because a lot of times when you get to the, the practice of the Christian life, it can be easy to short circuit the gospel, which has to drive it. So when you get to Paul saying, hey, this is how we ought to live in the world, it's only because mm-hmm. of the gospel that Paul is obsessed with. So it's only because we can be can rest secure in God's great goodness and love and care for us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that's that's kind of a big a, a big backdrop to all of this is to um, is to acknowledge that aspect of the gospel. So, for example, as you pointed out, Jesus will go to the mountains to pray. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll spend time, we'll spend hours away from people who need him. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have to kind of, there's sort of this other side of it, right? It's like, well, yeah. you could, you could have an interpretation as well. Jesus isn't considering others more important than himself, more significant when they need healing. You know, I'm thinking of that night he stayed up all night healing. And then early in the morning before he went awake, he goes and prays and they're all looking for him. Like, where'd he go? He can't just, you know, he can't just leave. And apparently he can. And, um, so I, so it can't, it can't mean that it can't mean like, there's no, no I don't create margins for myself. There's no self care. There's no space for, for the gospel. As we've talked about in past episodes, having that teeny little space, even to open up for, for the seed of God's word to, to bring all this fruit in our lives. Yeah. Paul is definitely presupposing all of this. And, and it, it's all over chapter one, right, of Philippians. It's like it's assumed background. They know the gospel. They know their identity in Christ. They know that, um, that there is nothing they can do to earn God's love that is freely given, and they are living and walking in it. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like Paul says, so in light of that, and in a way he is with this first bit, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if you're experiencing any of this benefit yeah. of life in the gospel, in the participation of the Spirit, which has all these implications for our meaning and significance and God, God's presence in our lives, then go the distance and really, instead of being someone who is um, sucking life, grasping life, we talked about this last time too, I can't remember, maybe yeah. that was our neighborhood table, yeah. but um, being someone who's just grasping and sucking life out of others, which is some of the language here, the grasping for things for significance and meaning we're mm-hmm. able to rest in our security and meaning and give, give ourselves away, give this goodness away that, that God has given us, share our wealth mm-hmm. um, um, with, with others. Yeah. So great, I, great caveat. Great. First, um, before we jump further in. Yeah. I love that idea that the beginning of this chapter is Paul saying, if you have experienced that at all, if you know what I'm talking about, to know that you are an individual, very particular, and that you are loved and forgiven and you have a future, um, Mm -hmm. then have this posture or be this way 
in community. That sounds like good news to me. Like that sounds really inviting rather than a burden, like assuming that everyone else is better than me and I'm, and everyone else, whatever they ask of me has to be a yes. That's like one of the places I take it. And Jesus, I mean, we know the times he stopped in a crowd, but we don't know how many times he didn't. I mean, because we know the few stories where, you know, he was walking and someone touched his robe or someone was crying out and he actually stopped whatever direction he was going in. My assumption is that there's so many times he didn't stop for other people and didn't reply to people's requests. So this isn't like perpetual yes to others all the time, but there's a way of being that I think Paul's inviting us into in this. And it's really Mm -hmm. intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're we're saying counting others more significant than ourselves cannot mean we're always saying yes to whatever other people requested. That's not what that means. It can't yeah. be what that means. So what does it mean? Um, so yeah, that's kind of our first question: is what is what is this mindset that that Paul is calling us to? I, I think, and I think it follows it flows right out of that gospel idea that we were just talking about: is that to me, this this seems like freedom, mm-hmm. right? I think you could read this and feel very overwhelmed, and it feels like not freedom. Mm-hmm. But I think Paul means it as a, you are free to do this. I think so, too. Be- because of the gospel, you are free to have this kind of mindset because you don't need to grasp for meaning and significance anymore because you have that. You have that in the gospel. You have that in what God has done for you. Yes. So, uh, is it okay if I say something? Yes. It's always <laughs> okay for you to say something. This, just, is, this is the Vanessa and Andy podcast, so <laughs> you should probably definitely say something. I meant now, like at this oh. moment. Because you could have been about to, like, you know, drop the mic. It's a dramatic pause, and then, no, it was, I was just setting you up. Oh, it was perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so what I think this looks like, this freeing invitation, a way to be, and I don't know if this is a stretch or not, but my sense of it is that, especially looking at how he describes what Jesus is and was, that humility is being really okay with being human, for one, with not being God, for two, which goes together. Mm -hmm. Uh, which means that we are free to be vulnerable because we don't have to defend or protect ourselves. Like that's not forefront in our minds. There's one definition of humility by this woman, Esther DeWall, and she describes humility as being profoundly earthed. Mm -hmm. And Jesus in this passage, he is divine. And that's what it says. Like he had this Mm -hmm. opportunity to grasp at equality with the divine God, mm-hmm. but did not consider grasping that. So his okayness with being human, that he did yeah. not despise being in human form. He didn't consider it something to be escaped or embarrassed about or ashamed of. I know this is a little bit of a stretch, but to me, the invitation is it's okay for me too to also be okay with being human, which means that I'm not God in any situation, that I make mistakes, that I'm needy, that I have limitations, 
that I do embarrassing things, which for my personality is very freeing because it means in community, my first goal is not to try to be better than I am or more than I am. But the invitation is, no, what what really will foster true community or sacrificial fellowship is if I am willing to be the human that God made me to be in bigger and bigger ways. And the whole like anti-racist work has a lot to contribute to this because white fragility is kind of that same thing. It's, it's wanting to like show up really well and do a really good job um, as a white person all the time, which is actually an impediment to actual growth mm-hmm. and connection with people is if this perfectionism is yeah. kind of guiding interactions So that's how I hear Paul is like, don't let that kind of perfectionism or ego um, or insecurity guide your relating in this community, but be free to be needy, to make mistakes, to give what you have, even if it doesn't feel like a lot, like someone shares something and you're like, well, I don't know what I can do about that, but Mm -hmm. I can do this really small thing. It feels almost laughable how small it is. I feel like Paul's saying, yeah, do that. Yeah. But that's what you have to give, give it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good, I think a good transition into Jesus as the example yeah. that we're given here. Um, because Paul's definitely making this explicit connection between what he wants to see in the life of the Philippians and the the example, or even more so, I think the source of that life, the source of this mindset is is our connection to Jesus himself, mm. who, being in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And just kind of slowing down and reflecting on this passage this past couple of weeks, for me, has, has really stood out to me. Because it's not like, like, like you're making a good good connection there to like, okay, just be human. Be what, yeah, that's true humility is just owning who we are and not, not more, not less, not a false humility. But then there's Jesus who was in the form of God. Mm-hmm. And it says, but didn't account equality with God, a thing to be grasped. I think in a way the subtext here is, or, or, or one implication is because he knew who he was. He knew he was in the, he knew he was the God. True. <laughs> so why do I have to, I mean, you, in the sense of, I don't need to prove this to anybody. I know it. Yeah. Like when you know something about yourself, you don't feel like you need to prove it. Yeah. When you're insecure and you wonder, yeah. that's where some of that grasping comes from, I think, or at least in, it's my own experience. I try to force things to happen or I want people to see me a certain way and then it's artificial or that it's not, it's not true and it's not humility. Yeah. But this ties in with the gospel is like if we live into our gospel adoption and our gospel belonging into the family of of God and his people, then all this this grasping that's that's where the freedom comes in. Mm-hmm. And um so I think that was one thing is Jesus knew who he was, um, knew his identity as belonging to the Father had that clear relationship in his own heart and mind and his identity. 
And so was able there because of that to empty himself and take the form of a servant, which I never caught this before with this, this very familiar passage, but he's paralleling the idea of taking the form of a servant with being born in the likeness of a human. Mm. So this goes back, I think, to the purpose of creation and the purpose of our creation is that we have a, we have a role within creation, a servanthood role under God within creation. And there's freedom in that too. Like that's actually what we are made for. Like we, we experience fulfillment when we are, when we are, we have, we have good work to do. Right. Yeah. Like there's fulfilling and satisfying work and it gets out of sorts and it gets out of bounds and it becomes less than what it could be. But most of us have an experience of what, fulfilling work can look like or an imagination for it or hopefully an experience of it. And that's, I think there's a built-in creational reason for that is that it Mm. has to do with, with a, with how we were made. We were made to function in those ways to serve God and to serve others and to love others. Wow. It would be a cool translation for it to read, um, being in the form of a steward. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like servant is kind of means the same thing, but stewardship for me is even a more exciting or evocative understanding of our role as humans back yeah. from the beginning, because yeah. it means that we've been gifted everything. Right. And the invitation is to steward all that we've been gifted to steward the earth, yeah. to steward the people that we've been given to steward ourselves, like the gift of Andy that you've been given to steward yeah, and me, the gift of Vanessa that I've been given to steward. So thinking of Jesus as um, not despising and, you know, choosing the, the role of steward. That's, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doulos where we get the word doula from. That's even that's cooler. The, that's the, that's the word there in Philippians two, seven. Wow. That's so cool. That's more midwife and steward. I only know that because I have my Greek tool open on my computer. So right. I'm not trying to misrepresent myself as <laughs> fluent in Greek. But you're yet. getting there. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So that was one thing. There's, he knew who he was, so he didn't have to grasp for it. That gave mm-hmm. him freedom. Mm-hmm. To serve, to the form of a servant, which is to be found in human form. And then even then it goes on, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. And I want to add in further, even further, because that's already step in humility, is I don't I don't need to grasp for for my form as God. I can yeah. I can take on the role of a servant by being in human form. And I can humble myself further by becoming obedient to the point of death. Yeah is getting intense right here. Yeah. But getting in being to the point of death, even death on a cross, which is, which is showing that the, 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 the kind of execute Roman execution of crucifixion was a very shameful, humiliating and painful. I mean, is a major, the whole purpose is a major deterrent. So they would crucify people at, you know, on the outskirts of cities, on the road. So people would see it. Like that's the whole point is it's a public, it's a spectacle. It's like, yeah. this is, this is how the empire treats 
sedition, subversion, those, those kinds of things. Mm. I mean, that's such an intense part of this passage, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it reminds me of Howard Thurman's Jesus and the Disinherited, because he quotes somebody, I don't know who, but he quotes somebody in there talking about Jesus and says, Jesus's humility could not be humiliated. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus was the most free person in the world. And so he was free from being humiliated. And I always remembered that like humility cannot be humiliated Mm -hmm. and how Jesus kind of takes that to the last possible length. But also in that same book, Howard Thurman talks about integrity and he says that there are some things that are worse than losing your life and losing your integrity of personality is one of those things. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me of this passage about Jesus that yeah. to be obedient even to death. It was, it was Jesus saying there are some things worse than dying on a cross and me not being integral to who I am and what I'm sent for would be worse than that. And so this comes under like a bigger yes. And my bigger yes is that I'm going to have integrity. The crazy thing is that Howard Thurman says, we all have the invitation to do that, to, to honor or value our integrity above all other fears, fears of um, death or losing our reputation or yeah. You know, he'd be on the on the spectrum that says, like, there is no reason to lie ever. Which is a tricky question. Maybe we could talk about that sometime. Mm-hmm. Is there ever um, reasons to lie? Because you start getting mm-hmm. examples, like, if you know, people that are hiding Jewish families from the Nazis. But it's a really yeah. interesting area to explore. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like I like that there are things worse than death, even death on a cross. And I think I think the backdrop to that is, as you said, it's Jesus knowing who he is, who he belongs to, mm-hmm. knowing his true identity. And he's those are those far outweigh the cost. And Paul will say this out elsewhere in his letters to churches that are being persecuted that are our, our present um sufferings can't be compared to what is what we're holding on to in the future of what we are holding on to mm-hmm. that there is a there will be a turning of the tables that we belong to a just and good god and we are we are choosing our allegiances before the before the um the big revealing the big the big turning of the time of the age of the season, however you want to, however you want to think of it. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's a real, I think it's a helpful lens because we can get very stuck in the pattern of behavior that we need to have the, the form of godliness, but denying its power that either James or John warns about. I can't remember which one that we have the story of Christianity by growing up in it. And so we know, we know the right behavior. We think we know the right behavior. Mm -hmm. We have not tapped into the source and the power and the goodness and the love behind the whole point of like the, the behavior is sort of the last thing. It's like, 
It's the implications of the deeper things that are true. And if we get the cart in front of the horse, that becomes the problem. That becomes an unsustainable reality because this stuff is impossible. That's the whole point that this, you can't live this way, that there has to be some sort of super natural external power source and identity source and love source that fuels this whole thing that says, Oh, there's the pearl of great price that is worth way more than any pain and suffering that I could experience in my pursuit of that. And so I will give literally everything I have and am to, to have that. Yeah. That seems like a good segue. How do we live deeply into Jesus to tap into the source of this mindset, to actually live this way? Yeah. Because that's the clear implication. Mm-hmm. Is it's not just do this, don't do that. It's because of who God is in Christ and what he's done and how, he's, how he is present to us. Therefore, mm-hmm. da, 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 here's the implications. Can I start us off by um, talking about some other things that, that this reminded me of in the scriptures? Yes. Yeah, that'd be great. And in my life. It made me think of the parable, and I can't remember, I didn't look it up, so I can't remember where this is. The parable of the banquet seating. Remember Jesus tells us one about where where to sit when you're invited to a dinner party. Oh yeah. So in, and even it, like in more so in that culture than ours, it's like where you sat had to do with your importance, mm-hmm. and your significance. So like sitting at the right hand of the host, that's like a number one. And so he tells this story about it's way, way better to seat yourself at the end and have the host come and say, no, 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 no. You, you bring, you know, you sit up here. You sit up in this space than to have the opposite happen where you grasp for that number one seat and say, uh, that's actually not for you. (laughs) (laughs) And to be good connection. Right. So anyway, I think this, these are just, I wanted to share some of these parallels just to maybe to kind of get our juices flowing about, okay, what are practical implications? So Jesus thought of a banquet seating as a good parable or image of Mm -hmm. some of this stuff. Um, it made me think of, um, beginning of John's gospel. The disciples are following Jesus because John the Baptist told them to, and he turns around and says, Hey, uh, I kind of noticed that you're following me. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what do you guys want? What are you looking for? What do you seek? Mm-hmm. They say, well, we want to know where you live, Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of creepy, but <laughs> it makes sense in the context it's the word is the same word from John 15 about, we want to know where you abide. Oh, so I think John's cool. intentional there. And, and so when I'm thinking about when we're looking for that, what is the source that's going to give us true freedom in the way that Paul's describing here to, to live this way, to really genuinely care about others without self-interest to really give ourselves to, to uh, blessing others and serving them. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to ask this, answer this question from Jesus. Well, what are you looking for? Well, I want to, I want to know where you abide because that's where I want to also, that's where I want to live out of. There are over 70 
one another verses in the New Testament. It made me think of that. That, that that the implications for the Christian for the gospel is are so communal. They're so they're so communal of how to live life together despite differences, which included very much included racial differences in that context. Gentile yeah. and Jew was being was being a was considered an uncrossable bridge, like an uncrossable wow. chasm. And and Paul's and Peter's big thing was like this is this is the thing that's gonna do it. This is the only thing in fact that's actually going to do it genuinely. And it's still true today for socioeconomic differences, for racial mm-hmm. differences, for all kinds of things that would otherwise divide us is is the power and the promise of the gospel. Um, I'm going to stop there. I've got some more things that I'll bring up a little bit later. Andy, those are so good. Like those stories or little vignettes that connect to this passage that kind of flesh it out. And I am honestly more excited about this topic than I was before because of our core longings. This is like, this was not one I was very excited about because my first connotation with sacrificial fellowship is, okay, we're going to talk about how to be with one another, which feels so insular in Mm -hmm. not like a very inspiring way. And I'm not proud of that, but I just mean when you don't think about it correctly, it can just feel like, Um, oh, we want to be a church who's all really nice to each other. And we're just going to focus on that and not think about the world outside and not go really deep with God. We're just going to try to be really nice. That's kind of the worst case scenario for this focus Mm -hmm. is try to be really nice to everybody all the time. And it just doesn't work. (laughs) It's not very inspiring. No, But I'm really inspired hearing you reframe it as – those who we are in community with, like our families, and then those we have choose to be a family with in community, yeah. is the place that we work out our freedom and our vocation, first and foremost. And that spills out into the next ring, which is not an actual ring, but just the world. Yeah. Like who we are in the world with people that we don't know online yeah. or in person that we pass. So that's that's a more fun way for me to think about it. That this is like the practice yeah. place. And I th- I think the one I didn't share was the city on a hill one from Matthew five. Like this is what you're to be, and it and it made me think of the which the part we didn't get to, which is like the best part of the section is what therefore what God has done because of because God loves humility and integrity. Mm-hmm. And rewards those who honestly seek him. And and so there's this vindication moment where God takes Jesus, who sat himself at the end of the table, says, No, 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 you come up and sit up here at my right hand. Yeah. You're the guest of honor. You're the um therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it, that part made me think of the the flip side, like the flip side of the suffering and the hard parts about sacrificial fellowship. Mm-hmm. Uh, the costs bit is there's the vindication bit, the God is pleased bit, that God will, the God will um, 
vindicate and and raise up and that we get to share that like, this is an important concept in the new testament that we get to share in the glory that we get to be a part of that that um celebration bit like we were in on it right and mm-hmm. um and it made me think that there's both the the um the advertising aspect of it the the city on a hill the when we f- dig into community in this way as a sacrificial fellowship, it's going to be noticeable to a degree. The people who are, have eyes to see it like, wow, those people really care about each other. Mm-hmm. Look how they bear burdens together. Look how they, they share their sorrow and also their, their victories. Look how they really care for one another and, and serve one another. And, um, Yeah, the there has to be some benefit, I think, to being in this covenant community. Yeah, the outsiders say, "Wow, I don't know if I believe the whole thing, but the way they live is sure compelling." Maybe I just want to be a part of that and figure it out. You know, I think that's that's some of the best of the gospel living stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I have different directions. I feel like I could go with that. But I'll just say that the future-oriented stuff, I don't quite identify with yet, kind of from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it doesn't give me much consolation yet, just to be honest, to think of future vindication or future blessing or meaning or reward or sitting. Do you know what I mean? Like that's something I have to kind of assent to with my mind. Like, okay, I might, I'll like kind of fake it till I make it there because it does, I don't know what that actually means. And Mm -hmm. it also feels a little bit confusing because wanting vindication or reward feels confusing (laughs) in light of what we're talking about. So I, but I like, I like what you're talking about and it will make, it'll cause me to think. Mm-hmm. And what I think one of the things you're saying is that we don't necessarily get all the benefits of this way of life now. And that yeah. is hopeful to me. There are benefits to this way of life, though. Like there's surprising yeah. connection and meaning and joy that comes from being a vulnerable person in relationship with others where you mm-hmm. give and receive. Like yeah. that is like what the great disconnect movie was about it. They yep. said, you know, being isolated is as unhealthy as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. So this is the flip side, like not being isolated in a very daily weekly mm-hmm. way has like so much benefit in the here and now. But I also hear you saying, if it's not always beneficial, that's not the end of the story. Correct. I, and I, that's exactly where I was going to go to qualify it is say that to go back to rooting it in the, what is the hope that we're holding out for? Because we don't, while we do get to experience a lot of benefits on this side of the the turning of the tables or however you want to think of it, the the end, um, there are going to be some costs that I don't think we get to experience the benefits of this mm-hmm. side. And I think that's, that's got to be tied into that vindication. It's like I was patient and I didn't take the shortcuts mm-hmm. because I, because I had a conviction around God's goodness and faithfulness. And so I stayed that course. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you, know, you think of re- reward or 
or vindication in that that light. I think that's probably closer to the to the mark. Yeah, Let's flush it out a bit. Um, just because we're running out of time, can I share yeah. a practical thing? Please do. That comes to mind. Um, so my more recent favorite definition of humility came from Roberta Bondi and she studies the desert fathers and mothers and said for them, humility meant being able to take responsibility for what you have done without being humiliated by it. Mm -hmm. And so when I was thinking about like the practical application for this core longing and this passage, I thought forgiveness has is central to me, like learning the art of forgiveness, um, taking responsibility for what we have done without being humiliated by it. And for me, what that looks like is growing in the art of taking responsibility, which I can really grow in because, um, you know, in the recovery movement, there's a couple steps dedicated to this whole thing, taking responsibility for what you've done. There's, um, you know, making a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. There's admitting to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. That's one of the steps. And then another step is making a list of all persons we have harmed and, and becoming willing to make amends to them all. So out of 12 steps, three of them are kind of about this part, about taking responsibility. And... So that's what I thought about as like one of the, f- the primary things to me is learning how to get better at confessing and not mm. just privately, yeah, but to other people. Um, and also to being so bold and so free as to try to make amends where I can. But a huge part of that at least in the recovery movement, they often will say at meetings that the first person that's on their list of making amends to, and this surprises people all the time, is themselves. Hmm. And forgiving themselves and us forgiving ourselves is a step that I feel like we don't, that we do miss sometimes. And so that to me is key in being able to be a person who's profoundly okay with being human is not only repenting like to God in a real honest way, often to another person, and then receiving God's forgiveness, which allows us to forgive ourselves and kind of move on. Yeah. And Henry Nowen said that too in that same article, Solitude Community Ministry, he said the two features of community are forgiveness and celebration. Mm. And he said forgiveness is allowing other people not to be God which frees you to celebrate each other's unique gifts. And Mm. that's what forms community. So that was my main idea about what this looks like. I thought like it has to be, forgiveness has to be in there in order for us to be people of humility who are not grasping or defending or protecting. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which just ties, I mean, ties back into the the gospel of the root, you know, is of, of all of this. Yeah. We can't, we can't, we have to do something with our sense of guilt and shame. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the gospel's answer is, is for freedom for those, from those things. Yeah. And if you think of the person who does beeline for that 
best seat at the banquet table. Mm-hmm. You know, like you walk in and there's someone that um, just assumes they're going to sit there. It's easy to think of that person as like arrogant or delusional, you know, like, oh, who's so arrogant that they would do that? We know from living and from ourselves that it's not arrogance that leads people to grasp for that seat. Um, usually it's like mm-hmm. hurt, it's insecurity, yeah. it's trauma. Yeah. So that's how it ties in too. like to, mm-hmm. to walk into that room and not need that seat because you are okay. You know, it's you're freedom. okay. That's freedom. freedom. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. It's good. I have um, more, but I don't want to, um, I have more practical applications, but I want to let you share any too. I only have, um, I only have one. Oh, you should say it. Um, do you, th- may, this might be me revealing how weird I am by this, by this, um, <laughs> this insight into the life of Andy, but Great. I do like, I am such an internal processor mm. and, and people in my life who, who I really respect or spend a lot of time with their voices get in my head. Like in a, in a good way, like, like in a positive way, like I can hear, like I've, and this is true with, with you, it's true with Josh, it's true with my wife. Um, Mm -hmm. if I'm thinking through something, I can hear Vanessa's voice pop into my head sometimes, or Josh's voice or my my wife's voice as a helpful little prompt, like, Oh, what would they say? Cause they're different than me, but I know them well enough that I, I, I can, I can, as I'm thinking through a problem. I can, I know Vanessa would ask this question or I know she would have something like this, or I know Katie would say this or Josh would challenge me here or, or whatever the thing is. Yeah. And that is intensely helpful for me in terms of discernment, in terms of thinking through things. And it made me think of the importance of having God's voice in my head. Oh, (laughs) having the voice of Jesus in my head. And it doesn't yeah. seem to be an accident that that in the in the Bible there's sort of this deep connection between God's word and God's son and the spirit of God that these three have have are, are very closely connected and and the more that I find myself immersing myself in the words of the scriptures and the words of Jesus the more I I can imagine what Jesus is saying in a moment of, of discernment and knowing that it's not just this detached thing of, Oh, I've got enough scripture in my head so I can kind of have that voice there. But that knowing that God's spirit is active in that process and uses those words. This is my, one of my best arguments I think for rooting in the scriptures is getting God's words into your head and heart so that he can use them in these moments of how do I root in these kinds of things? How do, how am I so immersed in the story of the gospel and caught up in it that I'm actually experiencing the freedom that Paul's talking about here in caring about others. That's, this is the problem that you get with me is that my practical applications are all kind of the same. <laughs> um, Keep going back so to, good. Oh, you should read your Bible, which is yeah. such, 
<sighs> Such a tired thing to say, and I'm self-conscious about it. So why don't you go? I loved how you opened that though, because I didn't know what you were going to say when you said other people's voices are always in your head. And I, <laughs> it, that just makes so much sense. Like when the disciple said, where do you abide? One of your things you're saying is that I abide in the story mm. of God and I abide yeah. in the words. These life-giving words. Yeah. And that sounds like Deuteronomy, like the Shema. And it, it requires, sounds like Jesus like it, who. Yeah. It requires, it requires to hear Vanessa or Katie's or Josh's voice. It requires time spent with them and really knowing them. And no less is true of, of spending time with Jesus, spending mm-hmm. time with, with God in that sense. Yeah. And I was going to say Jesus in the wilderness, the temptations, you almost can see him, you know, getting a temptation to like grasp or prove or take the top seat above the city or whatever. And you can almost see him saying, what would God say? What does God say? Mm Because he only answered with verbatim. Yeah. Scripture. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Good connection. Okay. A few of my other practical examples. Yeah. Um, Indifference, which we can just link to this because it's too big of a topic, but Indifference is like a spiritual practice to something to like aim for. And it's a new, it was a new word for me, you know, Um, it's a new word for a lot of people. It's from Ignatius. And the idea is not being apathetic, which is what it sounds like. It's um, holding all of God's gifts lightly. It's not being free from care. It's being free for whatever is the right thing to do or for you to do or for me to do in a situation. So there are some ways to kind of practice or understand indifference as a quality of Mm -hmm. being. So that comes into play. Um, Little things like practicing asking for help or practicing receiving, I feel like is what this passage makes me think of. Mm -hmm. There's some of us that, um, love to give help. But what's more profound to me is when people are willing to receive, there's like a humility involved in receiving yeah. that does not compare to giving. So even in neighborhood table, if I've seen this happen, you know, where people receive in really vulnerable ways and that is more bonding for a community, I think, than anything else. Yeah. I, I was going to refer to our neighborhood table as an example of where we we see some of the stuff that Paul's talking about here, where we ex- have experienced yeah. crying together with others' sorrows and 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 thinking through how do we how do we help this person in this season? You know, it's been pretty yeah. great. Um, and my last idea is kind of along the perfectionism route, like thinking about humility. And I think one of the implications of not being a perfectionist, because I'm profoundly okay with being myself and with being human, is all those things that I think I would start this, um, you know, if I knew it would live up to my expectations, or I would do this creative project, or I would reach out to this person, but I'm afraid that it won't meet my expectations. Like Mm -hmm. just that hesitation that chronic hesitation I have that keeps me 
from starting, spending, giving, creating, that to me feels like an invitation from this too, is like, Mm. go for it. You know, it's probably not going to look the way it, like starting a podcast with you, I'd probably want to think about it for like a year to make sure I knew if it was going to be good or not, instead of just saying, that's not Mm -hmm. the way things work. Like you've got to enter as yourself. That's the vulnerability. So that's um, an encouragement for me too. Hmm. Yeah, that's so good. I, um, there's tons more we could talk about. We might come back to this on, on another episode, maybe even the next one, because we have that slated. But um, that was really great. That's true. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, well, do we have time for me to ask you my question? Oh, yeah. Like the, the question. question? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember you sent it to me and then I forgot to look at it. But yeah, ask it. What was it again? <laughs> well, okay, see if something comes to mind. So okay. what is something lately that has really, um, like, cheered you up or inspired you? Like, what's something that you're like, that that was really good stuff. That brought me to God. Mm. Mm. Hmm. Um, I've been listening to, I found, um, one thing is I found a podcast of Daryl Johnson's sermons. Mm, you love that guy. I do. So I've said, I think I've said this just show before. This is, uh, Daryl Johnson is, was my professor of preaching at Regent and learned a lot from, from him. Um, and up until, like, I've looked for this before, and I was like, oh, I wonder if he has any. So this is pretty recent. I think this was in the last year this started, so I was pretty excited to find that, stumble across that. And um, and that's been fun to kind of jump back into some of his his style, which it's different than mine, but it's 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 really helpful. Like, I definitely take a lot of his um, his approach. I uh, found his approach helpful to to preaching, and and even even what I prepared for today for our conversation is is taken from a lot of his, his, um, outline of preparation for how to prepare for, for sermons. So I'm not preaching out of this because I'm not, I'm not slated to preach again for a while, but, um, I just kind of took the first few, few prompts and questions to help me kind of dig into Philippians in that way. And so I I find it really helpful. So that's been, that's been fun. That's so great. Maybe you could link it in the notes. Yeah, for um, sure. Mm-hmm. His podcast. Yeah, he sounds so great. Everything you've talked about him. Mm-hmm. Okay, you want to hear mine? Yes. So Jamie Smith, James K. Smith has. Oh, a new, I like that guy, James. Yeah, Smith. you do. We both do. <laughs> he has a new newsletter, a monthly okay. newsletter. It's just started like three months ago. Yeah, it's through Image Journal, and he's so smart that I don't even get half of it. Like yeah, I don't actually understand. He's, he's kind of frustratingly smart sometimes. Yeah. And <sighs> so good with words, but the template for this newsletter, ah, oh, I just loved it. So it's called a tree, a rock and a cloud. Mm-hmm. And it comes from this quote, um, this quote from Carson McCullers son, do you know how love should be begun? The boy sat small and listening and still slowly. He shook his head. The old man leaned closer and whispered, a tree, a rock, a cloud. So basically the old man's answer to how should love be begun is a tree, a rock, a cloud. Mm -hmm. 
And then what Jamie does with that is that he has these sections every newsletter. So he has attending, things I'm attending to, things I'm looking at, something I'm reading, something I'm loving, and something I'm listening to and making. Mm -hmm. So in each of those categories, he kind of does his whole cultural theological audit on different, uh, what are those things called? Like these things in the world that are made like matter mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff you listen to look at read watch and he exegetes them to know what they're doing for love or in terms yeah. of love so even though it's too it's above me i'm like um that that idea yeah of taking stuff that we love i just love it yeah. so i look forward to it every time yeah we've engaged, we've done some stuff with Jamie St- Smith together on our when we've done taught origins class together some of those exercises are really helpful of looking at how does, and, and we're going to try to look at this um, in a few weeks with getting back to the great disconnect stuff about how does, how does our architecture of our buildings, how does this, the way our city is designed, how does that shape our affections? Yeah. So he's very big on that. Very fascinating, very insightful. Yeah. And so I think we'll be, we'll be exploring some of that too um, in the weeks to come. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, okay. So we need, what we need to do, Vanessa is, uh, you need to be sending me some of these links of some of the things you mentioned, just in case people want to jump into the show notes and check them out. I know you quoted now in a number of times in Thurman, Jesus yeah. and the disinherited. Yeah. Among other things, Daryl Johnson's yeah. podcast, Jamie Smith's, how do you get, can we get Jamie Smith's newsletter? How do we do that? Do you have to be special? Do you have to be sitting at the right hand at the banquet? At the table. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'll... um, Anyone get this. You can sign up for it on image. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll do that. So, uh, yeah, check it out, everyone. And uh, thanks, Vanessa. This is really great. It was really fun to jump into this text with you and kind of see where it, it led us. So, more to come. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Vanessa. See you.